0: hello everyone and welcome back to bench busted a fantasy football podcast all things fantasy as always i'm nick and I'm joined by Jack. How do you today, Jack?
1: You know what, mate? I'm not doing too bad. I am halfway through the vaccination process. Got my COVID vaccine today. Um, it is still very hot in the UK, as you all know. Um, but yeah, apart from that, apart from the weather uh, ma- making me very sweaty and uh, you know my left arm feeling a bit achy, shall we say? I'm I'm good. I'm good. So so you're so you're saying that you're not up to full fitness, which
0: is why you might perform worse. In the fantasy football Euro game.
1: <laughs> well, I feel like I've I've done all right so far. Although match day two just kicked off or oh, it's been underway since yesterday. And it's not, you know, it's not going as well as match day one went. Um but obviously there's still quite a few games to be played. You've got some games uh going on this afternoon, this evening as well, and then of course tomorrow with the all-important England game against Scotland. So I'm very much looking forward to up-and-coming games that we have left in store for the second match day but um yeah I'm I'm doing okay
0: that's that's really good to hear
1: my, my I mean I won't bore
0: you but my personal thoughts on the game are that I've played it for a week I've had a bad week and I've decided I don't like it at all <laughs> but um I'll, I'll talk about that uh I guess later on in the podcast because first of all and this is the main thing this is this is the important stuff we love our fantasy Premier League, right? The Euros is just a distraction, and there is there's some Premier League news. The, the the fixtures. I think this is the most important piece of news that the fixtures have been released, and we're getting an early look at how, well, how <laughs> I guess the start of the season will go. It depends whether you decide that you're going to have to panic in week three and wild card again, as 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 we both did actually this season. But you know, we usually want to plan. We usually, want to plan for the first ten or so game weeks. The fixtures are released. You get to see um, Ben Krellin, a perfect source for this, but you get to see who all the teams are playing um, in the first, as I said, the first 10 game weeks are important. There are some teams that have come out as big winners, big teams to, to sort of target, to try and get players from early on. Um, price Prices depending because, you know, Bamford could come in costing 9 mil, for example. And there are some teams that you definitely want to avoid. Jack, have you had a little, uh, little chance to look? Have you got any thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, I have. Um, as you know, it's uh, something that we are both obviously very passionate about. And I think, as you say, there, there are certainly some big teams who are going to be at the front of everyone's mind uh, come August 14th, which is, of course, the when, when the Premier League gets restarted for next season. And that is, of course, Man United, one, one of the best teams, I think, uh, in terms of FPL assets, uh, certainly offensively. I mean, you know, the likes of Bruno Fernandes, Rashford... Luke Shaw as well, who was bombing down that left flank uh, throughout last season and in fact had one of his best seasons in a Man United shirt uh, last season. They get off to a, a fantastically good start. You know Their first, what is it, six or seven fixtures are, are definitely ones to be targeting. I mean, leads on the opening day could be a bit tricky for them. But of course, in the reverse fixture or, or in, in the same fixture uh, last season, they did run out when 6-2. So again, I'm expecting goals in that one. Um, the likes of City opening up the new season with a game against Tottenham, which I think could be a very interesting one. Obviously Tottenham, we were talking about this just before we started recording, but Tottenham's still sort of in manager limbo, as it were. I mean, there were talks going on with Paulo Fonseca, but uh, I, I'm, I'm hearing that those have broken down now. And yeah, it's interesting to see what happens with that Spurs side. Of course, Kane, Towards the back end of last season, he was teasing the fact that he wanted to leave the club. You know, he's he's playing football and he wants to be winning trophies. And certainly in that Tottenham side at the moment, it doesn't look like he's going to be able to be winning trophies anytime soon. So I think that maybe the City game to open up isn't great, but they do have some favourable fixtures to, to, to follow that. I think Brentford are a very interesting one. You know, they open up the the new season the first time in the Premier League. They open it up against Arsenal, but and then they do have some well, I wouldn't say favourable fixtures, but they do have some easier fixtures on paper, shall we say. They go to Crystal Palace and then Villa in the following match day. So I think that they're certainly uh, you know getting the fixtures in this early before we even know the prices. It's good because, as you say, uh, it allows us to sort of get to work planning on in terms of you know what players we want to target, what what teams we want to target. But yeah, I mean, plans are there to be changed. I think as soon as we know more about the prices and and some position changes as well may, of course, happen. Um, And certainly with some of the uh, transfers that are happening as well, we will get some new additions into the game, no doubt, because, of course, the season starts before the transfer window closes at the end of August. So I think that there's certainly a lot of planning to be done, but plans can and will change. So yeah, no matter how much planning you try to do now, I still think it's maybe a bit too early.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think it's also worth mentioning some of the losers, or well, not losers, but but teams that are you may have wanted to invest in for for budget or or premium assets who have a run of fixtures at the start that look the sort of fixtures that you probably want to avoid. I think um, the big the big losers are Norwich, who start their season with three <laughs> tough fixtures. They, they they have Liverpool, Man City, and Leicester before they get that that Arsenal fixture in in the fourth week. Norwich, a team basically, I don't think many people will be joining the Pookie party early on next season, which could be useful because he definitely was a bit of a high roller at the start of last season. I think Chelsea are another team where they might have had some premium assets that you could have been interested in, for example, like Chilwell or, or Havertz, if you're sort of interested in that, or Mount even. you know, We don't know the prices, but those are the sorts of players you'd definitely be looking at immediately. Um, but they they have a tough sort of a tough sort of run with with Arsenal, Liverpool quite early. Tottenham, Man City in five and six. And uh, we, we obviously don't know how good Tottenham will be. It could be that Tottenham turn out to be quite a green fixture. But they also have um, blank game weeks predicted to be in seventeen or eighteen, depending on how the Club World Cup shakes out and when the fixtures are rearranged. For I think Chelsea assets are probably assets to to look away from and, and early on at least, especially when. You'll probably be wanting to target captains for Liverpool, who play Norwich in game week one, and then Man City, who play Norwich in game week two. So there's some bit there's some bits to to learn. You know, there's some some, some interesting things to think about already in terms of like your team composition and the players that you might want. Um, Brentford again, another team who, who have a sort of a decent run of green fixtures early on. If you want to take a punt on on Ivan Tony, who I will be taking a punt on, I think. Again, depends on price, but I've read a lot about Brentford. I love the their owner. I like the way that they take a stats-based approach, and this these fixtures are just another tick in a bunch of boxes that already ticked for me to want to invest in Brentford. So I'll be doing that, a hundred percent. I'll probably be getting some sort of Brighton asset. I'll, I'm keeping an eye on the fitness of um, Tariq Lamptey, who who well set the league on fire at the start of last season because Brighton have a very, very good opening run of fixtures up until game week six. This is pretty, pretty sound stuff. And then, yeah, um, the other team that's that's worth keeping an eye on is Everton, who their fixtures look green at the moment, Jack. But uh, the, the, the new piece of news coming out is that they're looking at getting in Rafa Benitez as the as the replacement for Lotti, who's decided to to do one and he's gone. to has he gone to Real Madrid? I think he's gone to Real Madrid again. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it?
1: He's always... It feels like Ancelotti's always on the way to Real <laughs> Which I I find hilarious because obviously he went to Everton and then persuaded James Rodriguez to follow him to Everton. And, and now he's gone to Real Madrid, who James Rodriguez used to play for, which I just... Uh, is uh, That that whole situation is just hilarious. <laughs> it is a bit, isn't it? James Rodriguez is going to suffer as well. I mean, do you, God, do you
0: remember when he was a good fantasy actor, when we were talking about him? <laughs> you were talking about him,
1: actually. You were... I had him in my team at the start of last season... And, and I was bigging him up in that first week because I was like, you know what, this guy looks good. This guy looks good. And then he like scored a goal and an assist in his second game for the club. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm glad I kept you. And then he did nothing. Did nothing. Well, it's like when I got on Ziyech and Ziyech popped off for about half
0: a week. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's very good stuff. Um, but, but yeah, that's the other thing. When you're looking at fixture schedules, you want to be wary <laughs> of what the green fixtures are we don't really know how hard spurs are but spurs are in here as like a difficult fixture um, and honestly everything could change at that club like Kane could leave for example and if you're a bad team a lot more of your fixtures should be hard than good uh, I don't think anyone's looking like for example you look at Norwich who after their difficult run they have like Watford Everton Burnley and Brighton Those are all still really difficult games for Norwich because it's Norwich. So really like this whole, the whole fixture ticker, the whole fixture ticker should just say difficult fixtures from Norwich for, from game week one to 38. They don't really have easy fixtures uh, in quotes. So keep an eye, keep an eye, don't get fooled. Like we sometimes are by, by fixture lists, you know, we sometimes get really fooled by this sort of thing. And, uh, I can't wait. I I think we'll move on from that. We've got all the news. Is there anything else Premier League related that that, that's come up over the last couple of or the last week or so? I think we've covered the managerial ins and outs. Spurs are still looking for a manager. Is there anything else, Jack, that we've missed?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, like I like I say, I mean, you've got Nuno, Espirito, Santos, left wolves. I think we talked about that maybe last time or, or or when that news came out. Yeah, as you say, Everton's still looking for a manager. I think on, on the note of Norwich and with that difficult fixture running, I think a lot of us as uh, FPL fans will be sort of relieved, shall I say, that uh, Aston Villa have snapped up their star man Emin Buendia, uh, who of course was playing for Norwich uh, not only last season, but when they were in the Premier League a couple of seasons ago. And he's gone to Villa, as I say, for I think about 30 million, maybe rising to about 35 million with, with the add-ons. But it's a lot of money, but the guy was a magician in the midfield for Norwich in the championship last season. And I think that people not getting on the pookie party will certainly be jumping on the Buendia bandwagon. Um, because I think that the guy is just phenomenal. Um, to be honest, mate, I'm, I'm just hyped to hopefully go and watch some Premier League football live down at Brentford. So that's what I'm keeping my fingers crossed for. I'm hoping that that you know we can actually get some fans back into the stadiums as well and bring some uh, atmosphere. Back into the uh, back into the Premier League.
0: No, preach the. Sorry, are you coining the term Gwendia bandwagon right now. On the seventeenth of, well, I'm dating it on the seventeenth of June, <laughs> two thousand twenty-one. At about half past four, you're coining the term <laughs> Gwendia bandwagon. Just confirm that, please. Yes, okay. Yes, I am. Yes, cool. I am. Right. <laughs> when when the... <laughs> I'll send my lawyers round. You'll have to sign some paperwork. But uh, it seems like it's. <laughs> But I'll I'll be on the Buendia bandwagon. I like I like their fixtures. I like Aston Villa. It could be could be quite a problem. I think the stat with Buendia that I always liked, which I hope has stayed true to the end of the season, it was something that was definitely true a couple of months ago, was that Buendia had for the last two years, despite only playing one of the two seasons in the Premier League, the most completed through or the second most completed through balls behind uh, Kevin De Bruyne. So. I mean one season for norwich and he's and he's beating everyone else who's had two seasons for their respective teams. I think that's that's a mad statistic, and that's not exactly like a cherry picked one either that's the boy just threads passes so I'm excited to see him again in the Premier League. You clearly are you're on the Wendi bandwagon uh patent pending <laughs> and um you're you're absolutely right about full stadiums because we've been watching the euros a lot of the teams have half full Stadiums, or, or officially half full stadiums, although I'm pretty sure in, 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 in Holland or in, in the Netherlands, they jammed a bunch more people into the stadium than, than they meant to. Hungary have got a full stadium. It's been great. I've been loving the Euros in the full stadiums. Um, It's been a week now since it started or, or just under a week. We've been watching it. We've been playing the fantasy football game, although, as I said earlier, it's gone badly for me. What's been what's been great about it so far for you Jack? What have you enjoyed? Which teams have you enjoyed?
1: Well, I I think before we even talk about any of that stuff it has to be said that you know obviously with the Denmark versus Finland game, I know that a lot of people have been talking about this already of course, but Christian Eriksen uh, collapsing, um, it was just horrifying to see that whole situation. Luckily, thankfully, uh, the medical staff were able to resuscitate him. Um obviously the likes of Simon Kier being on the pitch, the captain of Denmark as well, uh, getting him into the recovery position, making sure that he wasn't going to swallow his tongue, consoling his his wife and kids as well as uh, the, the 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 likes of Kasper Schmeichel, the goalkeeper as well. I think that that was just uh, It was very, I, I I don't quite know the words to to describe it, but it was um yeah it's it certainly m- shocking I would say um to see that happen. Obviously, seen it happen before with Fabrice Mwamba when he was playing at Bolton. And he subsequently had to stop playing football. Obviously, Ericsson's only 29 years old, so it's heartbreak for him. A sort of somber reminder that footballers are just humans as well. But as I say, I mean, it was uh, fantastic from the medical staff. Uh, Obviously, there's some questions about what went on behind the scenes with UEFA and their decision to essentially make Denmark play the remainder of the game uh, later on in that same evening. Obviously, the, the Danish players would have been shaken up by that. Um, so, I think there you know, question marks about that, but I think that we all in the football community are just relieved that that, that he's alive and, and, and okay. And, uh, yeah, everyone in their medical staff just deserves a, a massive, massive round of applause because they did exactly what they are tasked to do. And uh, yeah, Ericsson, uh is certainly, I, I imagine Ericsson is certainly very thankful to them as well. So yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way because it was, as I say, it was a very harrowing situation to, to witness firsthand.
0: No, yeah, no, no. A, a very important, I think, actually, thing to mention. Glad you did. They, they kick off in, in, in about half an hour against Belgium, actually. So it'll be very um good to see some of the tributes that they're they're planning I think for that game I think Belgium are planning to kick the ball out in the 10th minute which is obviously the number he plays with which will be nice to see and um yeah the the support I think I think the support is has been has been so impressive it's, it's you know what it's it's just fucking lovely to see people care it's it's lovely to see people care um and to show like especially when there's a lot of hate online and a lot of crap it's really nice to see outpourings of, of heartfelt tributes and, and care, especially seeing as he's, he's okay now. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Bang on. And uh, it's a nice... Well, I guess the positive is it's a reminder that, that that there is that support and that love and that's what football's all about at the end of the day. It's about coming together and, and being together and enjoying things together um, rather than sort of any of the crap. I don't, I don't know how to go on from here, Jack. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think... Yeah, the, the sticking on that game I think the one thing well the, the one thing that we got wrong and perhaps we were just being a bit stupid going into the Euro 2020 fantasy is of course with this whole caveat of being able to change your team and substitute players on and off the bench between the games within the same match day we both stupidly decided to pick goalkeepers who were playing against each other and of course, we both started kathfish Michael and left the likes of Lucas Herdecki on our benches and uh turns out Lucas Rdeckki wanted to turn up in that in that Denmark game, obviously Finnem won that one 0 and uh yeah, he was called upon to save the penalty that would have equalized it for for Denmark, but he saved it um and he managed to pick up thirteen points with the clean sheet as well, and uh yeah, I think that we just both made a made a bit of a mistake on 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 that one so i guess you know there there are lessons to be learned but you know as you said earlier this really is just a game that is a sort of i would say scratching the itch of fantasy football certainly for me it is anyway trying to be on top of the goings-on in my team but um yeah i i had a decent match day one mate
0: i didn't and and i I'll get it out of the way early, I think. <laughs> I don't like the way the captains work and I don't like the way the substitutes work where it just introduces decisions that are necessary, right? I, I like to play a game where you pick your team and you start your team based on fixtures and, and that is almost that. I actually would rather play without captains. I, I think captain is annoys me as well. I just want to pick players that I think are going to be good for long periods of time and remove some of that high variance stuff. But this introduces more variance stuff instead, which uh, yeah frustrates me. However, I did badly for a number of other reasons. It wasn't just that that that, that is the reason that I, I started off so poorly. My players didn't didn't I didn't pick players who performed. I sort of overvalued the potential for assists in a game where uh, there's no bonus points, which actually might still be the case. I and mean, we've only had one round of game weeks, and and actually my my sort of assisty midfield. That, that I had last week but don't have this week has started to, to perform this week um barella got an assist yesterday just up just after i took him out of <laughs> the team right he, he waited until just just he, he just he's just snuck out the team and then he's like time to perform time to do the biz so um it's one of those frustrating things I think you also and I'm gonna bring this up you despite you didn't even actually mention this at any point I don't think but you you made this huge gamble on the Belgian, de, Belgian defender that you think would start at, at right wing back, despite knowing, being fully aware that Castanya Timothy Castanya is an absolute fucking force and that he played well for Belgium in, in the qualifiers, started their last game in the, in, not in the qualifiers, in the friendlies pre-tournament. So it was probably going to start. He did start. Your pick was in the mud, Jack, in the absolute (laughs) mud. And then out of nowhere, the angels of fantasy football come down and they grant you exactly what you're asking for from your defender. Uh, He comes on with with, with less than half an hour played, which qualifies him to get the two points for playing 60 minutes and the clean sheet points. But he doesn't just get the clean sheet, does he? No, that's not good enough. He gets an assist as well. But what did he get before the assist? Because the assist and the clean sheet aren't good enough, aren't good enough for Jack, king of, king of fantasy football. No, he gets a goal as well. He gets a goal, an assist and a clean sheet and comes on before half an hour. Oh, amazing it i i i bow down to you jack because that that might have
1: been actually the straw that broke the the camel's back of thing <laughs> you know what i it's it's weird right because things like that would never happen in a regular fpl season for me it's, it's it's happened so many times where over the years i've left a player on the bench who has then gone on and got me a double digit haul and it's been like one of those annoying things where you, you wish that you would have just, you know, had them playing on the pitch instead of you benching them in the, in the first bench slot. Obviously with this, I, as you say, it, it was a risk going with Mounier. We were talking about this last week about the sort of Gussens versus Mounier uh, dispute as it were, uh, you know, that famous dispute of 2021. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I decided to stick with Mounier. I, I think that obviously I was the jammiest man in the world. When I saw Castagna get substituted off, I mean it's it's terrible to see him get substituted off. I think he had a quite a large cut across his uh, across his head, and 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 he is not being featured in the game later against Denmark. So my boy Mounier will get some more game time in match day two, which I'm I am pumped for. I don't think he's gonna. Well, he's my boy now, by the way, as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't think he's gonna get anywhere near to that fifteen point haul. Uh, of the first match day but it was certainly a uh, a welcome 15 points shall we say and I was uh, very happy I mean I was shocked that he was so far up the pitch to get himself into a scoring position I you know I, an, an assist is something that I expect from him because I, I have seen him play at times for PSG this season uh, on the right hand side when, when he has played for them and he's looked fantastic as well and you know he does like to push forward as, as we saw in that first game. So I'm hyped for Mourinho. Um Sorry, Castagna. That's, that's all I have to say. Uh, I mean, sticking on Belgium, Lukaku. So I, I, I had my captain on Insigne for the first game of the tournament with Italy versus Turkey. Italy ran out winners 3-0. And of course, Insigne did pick up a goal in that one, which... So I know you're not too keen on the sort of benching and the captaincy and whatever, but... Certainly in in some of the uh, social media circles that I follow, shall we say, are certainly torn in terms of when to stick or twist on the captaincy. And I had Insigne on eight points. I had Spinozola, who, of course, was a last minute change. I did have Benucci initially but I did bring on Spinozola once I knew he was starting on the left hand side and again he got me a clean sheet and an assist as well which was great but I captained Insigne and he got me eight points doubled up to 16 and it's that weird you know if I was playing FPL and if I couldn't change my captain I'd probably be happy with an eight point captaincy return you know if 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 I'm going to get 16 points from a player for scoring a goal keeping a clean sheet and playing over the 60 minutes then I'm probably not going to be upset about that. But it was in that sort of... I, I was saying to myself, you know, if my captain can get nine points, I'll be happy and I won't change. He got me eight points. And it was like one of those situations where I was like, well, I know that Lukaku is is playing on the following day against Russia, a Russian side who... I mean, I, I've, I've, not, I've not been keeping up to date with how good the Russian side is is in terms of international tournaments, but I, I fancied Belgium to, to to do the business against that Russian side. They did, they won it 3-0 and and of course Lukaku scored two goals, got ten points, and uh I had the captain's armband on him as well. So you know the risk did pay off, but I mean is it really a risk going from Insigne to Lukaku? Possibly not. Um so yeah I'm I'm, I'm happy with that and I, I left the captain's armband on, on Lukaku. I mean obviously in hindsight it would have been fantastic if I uh, had seen the fact that Castagna was going to get injured and then captain Mounier instead, which would have been amazing. But uh, I didn't, so yeah, I've, I'm just left looking at uh, Lukaku with twenty points, which is uh, still a fantastic haul.
0: Yeah, no, it was, it was. It's an interesting decision actually. That's something that I find more interesting with this game, although I'm still not happy about it. Um, is is the sort of the rolling captaincy you get because it sort of encourages you to pick players who play on different or premiums, especially who play on different game days or days, I guess. Yeah. And without the addition, like without there being bonus points, I think nine and eight are actually sort of really good, really good hauls. Uh, you have to like to contextualise it. You're the player, like if you've got a player who scored like eight points, the player that you're bringing in. Needs to get two attacking returns to to match that um, or beat that, which is I don't know, not really bankable. But then you get the option, the the added sort of variance of of rolling it on and on and on and, and keeping going. Because of course, in your situation, you you started with with Ronaldo over Kane, which uh, is a decision I've I've not really. It's it, I feel like I've given you crap for it, but I haven't really meant to. I think picking one of the greatest goal scorers of all time against one of the most informed goal scorers. In the world it's it's just it's literally just a 50 50 right and even if Lukaku had sort of not done anything you'd have ended up probably captaining captaining Ronaldo against Hungary who turned up in the in the 4,000th and and 33rd minute to to score a goal in a game that he had had no involvement (laughs) in and a penalty actually and then to score a tap in as well which is I'm not really bitter but I do love it I do love that but there's this massive like dedicated um, Ronaldo-y, Haiti sort of environment where people call him like Pinaldo or, or they add, I don't even know how they add the word tap into his name. But they say that he only scores tap-ins and whatever. And then in that game, he literally scores a tap-in and a penalty, which is just magic to me. It's absolutely magic. I didn't really even like Portugal in that game who where I saw that sort of Jota, another one of my failing midfielders by the way all my midfielders scored three points They they all got they all played and got a clean sheet but none of them got attacking returns um he he looked like a threat in that game whereas uh I don't think Ronaldo really did but that ain't that ain't fantasy you know you don't get points for threat um which is heartbreaking but basically the point I was trying to make is your captain would have rolled on and you'd have beaten um your your eight from the Italian game at least twice which is a uh, Dead impressive, Jack. Dead impressive. Because me, I'd, I got my Lukaku captain, and he was the only player on my team to score any goals at all. Which is in fact I don't even think I had a player who got an assist except for Spinazola. So it was all uh it was all a bit downhill from that, from that game for me. I however, I did enjoy the football. I did enjoy the games that happened. I think the pick for me of the games was the Netherlands versus Ukraine. Where it looked very much like I, I'm going to say like school football, but it was so talented. It was it was two teams that are very clearly comfortable at playing football. Um, uh, I don't know how best to describe it. Actually, it was almost like they were just out there to have fun, to try stuff. Ukraine were playing some nutty one touch passing, back heels, the whole the whole shebang, like like FIFA Street football. And and Netherlands were just trying it. Every time they had the ball, they were just trying it. And I loved it. It was such an exciting game. Um, I know you also watched that one, right, as well.
1: So I did, but I did that thing of, oh, I'll watch this game and, you know, I'll see how it goes. And maybe I'll watch the rest of the game. And I tuned in for the first half and half time, I believe it was nil nil. So I was just like, well, this isn't really getting me excited. And of course, I, I switched off, didn't I? And I missed all five goals in the second half. Oh man!
0: Like we had it on in our living room, and I told my housemate,
1: oh, I'll only put on the first half." And then at the
0: end of the first half, I went, "No, this is this is far too good. Like, I'm enjoying this too much to turn it off. Let's keep watching. There's bound to be goals." So,
1: so I, I made the right call. I guess from my point of view, is like I'm I'm sat there from a fantasy point of view going into the game. I was like. Obviously disappointed the likes of Owen Weindau didn't even get a look in in terms of he wasn't in the starting lineup, and then he came off the bench in the second half just before Ukraine decided to turn up and score two goals which I was less than impressed by. He didn't start as I say and Depay I mean he looked a bit lonely shall we say he cut a very lone figure at times. Uh, certainly in that first half and yeah it just seemed like the the certainly the goals came from elsewhere and it I mean I guess it just goes to show that they don't 100% rely on Depay for their for, for their attacking output I mean Alden to be honest even going into the tournament I sort of knew that Wijnaldum cuts a very different figure when he plays for the Dutch national side as opposed to when he played for Liverpool over the last couple of seasons so I think Certainly in in that in the international tournaments, he's definitely getting a lot further forward than he would do at club level. And yeah, maybe, maybe he was to pick. Just one of those, I guess. And, you know, I was looking at it and, and hoping for a Depay return and, and I didn't get one. And it was uh, just frustrating to, to not have the best player from the Netherlands contribute to, to a goal was uh, yeah, a little disappointing. Well, mate, welcome to my strategy of owning all the best
0: players and teams <laughs> and having they'll get assists. It hasn't worked for me yet. But uh, you never know. A, it's a long old. It's a long old tournament. Although I don't know how much attention I'll be paying towards the end in, in, in fantasy terms. When I, I I presume it gets to the final, and you've just got everyone has
1: the same players. Oh yeah, it will be because I don't. So as far as I'm aware, I don't think there's an actual like third or fourth place playoff in in this tournament. I've not seen certainly not in terms of the the fantasy perspective I've, I've not seen anything about a third versus fourth playoff so so the losers of the the semi-finals going up against each other to compete for a bronze medal I, I I don't know if that's a thing in in the Euros I know certainly in the World Cup it is uh something that that will take place obviously there, there's one less match and I guess that's maybe maybe it's a good thing because you know going into the final you actually have to target teams on the final and you don't just get a free pass in terms of you know, setting your team up well for the semi-finals and and knowing that you uh, will have players from teams who are going to play at least twice again. So I can get it from from that point of view in terms of the fantasy. But I, ju- I just wanted to touch on a team who you tipped last week to to go on and win it all, and that is Germany. They opened their Euro, the Euro 2020 group against the World Cup holders, France. Mats Hummels scored the only goal in that game. But uh, unfortunately, it was an own goal for France. So yeah, France run out, winners 1-0. I don't know. I mean, Germany looked good in parts in that game. I think France, as we were talking about last week, France are definitely one of the favourites, I think, going into the tournament uh, to, to to win it all and and bring the euro 2020 tournament home to accompany their most recent world cup accomplishments um but yeah what did you make of that game are germany still a team that we should be looking out for i mean germany in that weird situation or i wouldn't say a weird situation but they are in that tougher situation where they've lost their first game they play hungry in their final game so you're looking at it from the outside in and you would like to think that Germany certainly have to get something out of this game against Portugal to to potentially have a chance of, of making it through into the uh, round of sixteen.
0: Yeah, I I don't really know what to make of Germany. I'm clearly not as high on them as I was before. I thought that they I, I actually I was so high. I, was, I thought that they would. <laughs> I, I thought that their um I thought that their formation and their tactical setup would counter France quite comfortably because um, I thought that they might be able to. Well. A lot of the thinking, I guess, was that I thought that their central defenders would be able to cope with, with Mbappe and Griezmann. But as it turned out, well, as it turned out, they they did. However, Matt Hummels, Matt, Matt who's not been the fastest guy in the world ever, um, very, very slow. They played very high against Mbappe and got very lucky that he didn't get any returns in that game, I think, based on how they were playing. For me, in the second half, Germany were far better. I think... France were defending the lead and they were doing what they did for the whole blooming world cup as well where they don't really try to play they they just sort of sit back and absorb pressure and um and then release and release mbappe and he just runs up the pitch and and does business and that's sort of how they looked as well um against germany germany were disappointing for me i think they actually well I don't think they created a lot of clear-cut opportunities, but they did a lot of this thing where they where the, they had a lot of crosses into the box, and and because they came off a French player, it doesn't look that impressive. But I am not a fan of crossing it relentlessly anyway, and think that yeah, they could have got they on a, on a better day, they probably could have won that game, but on a worse day, they could have lost that game three nil. So I think on balance, it was probably a a fairish result. Um, they took off Serge Gnabry, which they were punished for because as soon as Timo O'Vert like, he's useless, man. As soon as Timo Werner <laughs> came on, like, they died. Sané was a, a bit better, but not much better. Uh, Havertz, who I know he had a bit of a wonky first touch, but he was still better. Like, he still created more. And, and then they were also doing this thing. I'm so glad I didn't stick with Klosterman because obviously he didn't play and Kimmich played. And it is, the, it is definitely the tournament of the wing back. Don't get me wrong, the way that the goose the goose was loose. The goose knocked out Pavard at one point in his own box <laughs> with his
1: butt.
0: <laughs> so the goose is the goose is firmly loose. But we've got to pick the right wing backs. We've got to be a bit a bit better, a bit savvier at picking the right wing backs. I mean Munir, he's certainly the boy now, isn't he? I think Goosens he's he's loose and he could be a good pick. Um, as you said, Weindahl didn't play, but but um, Denzel Dumfries did and he looked great. So so picking the right wing back is good. And Germany were doing that. They were playing high with wing backs, but they kept doing this thing that... So I've started playing a lot more football now that sort of the restrictions on COVID have lifted a bit in our country. And one thing that really annoys me when I play football myself is when um, there's like this old Scottish bloke who's really rubbish. He'll do this nutty crossfield ball to me and I'm up against some like 40 year old dude who's bigger than me and and I'm stood there under the ball waiting for it to arrive and then he just comes in and like barges me out the way as as I sort of miscontrol it right and I don't think that that is a situation that's unique to to my very amateurish skills I think that that Germany were doing a lot of that where they're trying to play these cross field balls all the time to Kimmich, who they probably recognize as one of their better players on the right hand side and he was just stood under the ball for so long that every time he eventually got it, he'd like, it'd be difficult to control or or, or he'd have to, if he did control it, he'd have to go backwards or, or he'd get absolutely bombarded by French defenders because he's just stood there under the ball waiting for so long. Um, and and I hated it. I hated that. I hated their crossfield balls. I hated their crossing. And I really just wish that they'd tried to play it sort of more centrally and, and through the middle. It was sort of Tony Cruz and... and um, and the Gunderwagon, wagon, but but they were holding back and they weren't running as far forward. Frustrated, Jack. That's I, I I thought a lot about Germany and I've I've thought a lot about Germany since the game, and I was frustrated in the same way that I've spent a lot of my life being frustrated by by tactless Chelsea managers or, or tactless England managers. I tipped Germany to do well. I don't think if they play that way that they'll n- necessarily do as well as as I sort of thought they could have but they can still definitely win games. Um, It was just sort of disappointing to see uh, Yergi Lowe get every single decision wrong, I think, on the day.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, I I think I do agree. Um, I think that France, in their own right, I I think that we all knew how France would set up. We we know that the attacking front three of Benzema, Griezmann and Mbappe are just phenomenal. Uh, They are... In, in their own right, they are just three of the best attacking players in the world. I mean, I know Benzema's getting on a bit, and he's just been recalled back into the uh, French international side, but uh, I still think, you know, he's got plenty of goals in him. I think it would be interesting to see, obviously, France, their next game, playing against the likes of Hungary, who, as you say, Hungary against Portugal, I mean, Hungary were unlucky to get anything out of that game in my opinion I think Hungary set up very well I think that they know that as you mentioned last week all three of their games are going to be played in their own backyard in front of a crowd of 60,000 people they know how to frustrate these so-called bigger sides certainly in that group I think even even before you know the international friendlies leading up to the tournament I think that they knew exactly what they were going to set out to do as soon as they found out that they were going to be playing against the likes of France, Germany and Portugal, all in the same group, they're going to set up to frustrate teams. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how France do when they come up against Hungary in their next game, because it took Portugal quite some time to eventually break them down and, and get a goal. I mean, I think that France will probably have too much for, for the Hungarians, and I think that it could be more than just three goals that they score. But uh, yeah, I think that Germany definitely need to improve um i was just looking at a couple of the groups and you know as it stands i mean i think the only obviously the only team who has won two games so far is italy uh scoring six goals across the the first two games and uh you know they, they've they been impressive so they are mathematically the first team to to qualify whether or not they finish first or second we're still yet to be seen i imagine that they will uh that they will beat the likes of wales in there in their final group game. But I'm just looking now, and sort of a thought that was passing through my head is certainly, you know, going into the tournament, we all knew that, you know, four of the six best third-place teams would go through in the group. I know that Germany have only played one game, but if Germany don't get anything in the game against Portugal, and if France were to beat Hungary, then that does leave, of course, Germany needing to... to to win their final game against Hungary, to stand any kind of chance of making it out of the group stages. So it could be, I mean, I think we were all predicting before the tournament started that these three teams would advance through to the next round regardless, but it could be that we see one of these sides knocked out and it looking likely that it it, it might be Germany who fall by the wayside in the, in the, uh, in the group stage.
0: Yeah, it, it could be Germany. It could at the same time. It could be that Germany win that group still. If, if they win their two games and Portugal beat France, they're in with a big shout. So it's um, it's interesting. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's a very interesting group. And, and I agree. I think that the third place team in that group is likely to be the third place team that doesn't make it um, or one of the two third place teams that don't make it. I think four points gets you there every time. But but three points is is when you are historically not, not guaranteed the spot. And... I, I can't remember the tiebreaker. Is it is it on goal scored or something?
1: But I think it's I think it's either goal difference or it's head to heads. I'm not sure how it works in in, in the uh, sort of international competitions.
0: Well, they won't have played head to heads because it'll be them compared to other third place teams. So let's let's assume it's goals scored or goal goal difference. Oh, okay, yeah. And and in that case, um, if if two of your games are against two of France, Germany, or Portugal and you've and you've lost those, you're going to assume that your goal difference ain't great. So um, I'm pumped. I'm pumped for one of these good teams, hopefully not Germany, because I've put a lot of eggs in that basket. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm pumped for a big team to get knocked out because I do love a big group stage elimination, you know. I'm all about that. It's just a shame that it's happened to the team that I... And honestly, I spend most of my life hoping Germany will lose. Like, I remember when I was a bit younger, I, my dad would always say stuff like... Um, oh, you could never count the Germans out. Oh, they're always good. And at the last World Cup, when when Germany got eliminated in the group stage, I remember calling him just to out, just to be like, well, what do you make of this? History boy. You... <laughs> history man.
1: <laughs> what are your
0: thoughts now? <laughs> and and now I'm sort of, it's all turned on its head somehow. And I, I, I picked them a little bit because they're sort of almost underdoggy. But um, yeah, it's all gone the opposite way. It's all gone badly for them. I I like that you touched on Italy as well because we were talking before and you and I have very different views on Italy where I think you're saying Italy are good and I I think it's very hard to argue that. I'm saying that I don't think Italy is good as people think they are because in the two games they've played so far, they've dominated, but there've been games against opposition that just aren't that hot. Oh yeah,
1: like I I, I get it, right? I get it from that point of view. I, I understand that they haven't come up against any good no no disrespect to the likes of turkey in switzerland i mean to be honest you know everyone every pundit and their great aunt were talking about turkey being the the dark horses going into the group stage. Yeah, me
0: too yeah
1: and i mean they've 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 lost their first two games it's not looking good for them um you know if they can beat switzerland in their final game of the group then you know they'll be left on three points and again they'll be in that really weird precarious position of uh making it maybe or, or maybe not making it so i think what what is perhaps entertaining a lot of us as football fans and and certainly a lot of pundits and and now everyone is sort of paying a bit more attention to to the italian side and i think that that is very much due to the fact that you know it, across the, as i mentioned earlier across the opening two games they've scored six goals both of their first two games have ended three 0 in favor of of themselves and i think we, we talked about it going into the tournament, Italy, as you know, are very synonymous for being defensively sound and setting up well at the back. They're, they're not very well known for scoring a whole bunch of goals in international tournaments. And as I said to you as well, you know, going into the Euro 2020 tournament, they had never scored more than two goals in a game. And lo and behold, they go ahead and score six goals in their first two. I I, I just think that the different style of Italian football that we're now seeing, not only in in this Italian national side, but certainly uh, throughout the Serie A as well. I think that there is sort of a a revolution. Maybe it's a, well, I wouldn't say a revolution, but it's certainly coming a bit too late. And I think that they are maybe just now catching up with the likes of, you know, Spain, Germany, in terms of the way that the club teams play football. And I think it's just a breath of fresh air for that Italian side to see so much offensive flair. As as we were saying, you know, the likes of Insigne is fantastic. I mean Barella has been decent in the first two games. Locatelli got two goals for them, his first two goals for for Italy in their in their game against Switzerland. So I think that more than anything, it's just as I say, refreshing to see that Italian side actually play some creative, free flowing attacking football rather than being the the side that are most renowned for scoring a goal and and sitting back and and dropping deep and defending for 80 plus minutes of the game it is
0: it is nice to see actually you made a good point there about how how they're catching up to their european sort of um counterparts and i think that's actually exactly where i place them i i think a lot of pundits have obviously got carried away and and they're saying they're the they're the they're the favorites now they're not the favorites (laughs) But they are, yeah, I get, actually, that's a really good way of putting it. They are a team that have clearly caught up or or are catching up to, to similar European teams. They're not, they're not outsiders. They're not dark horses. They are contenders. Um, they're not special contenders. I I certainly am not saying that they're favorites, but I am saying, I wish that I'd accidentally put money on them rather than like Spain, who (laughs) Spain almost going in the opposite direction where, uh instead of getting better, they've got a little bit worse and, and they can't finish for for anything these days. I say these days, one game against Sweden where the, where the goalkeeper looked good. So I'm, I'm keen to wait. I'm keen to wait until potentially the quarterfinals, even maybe the round of 16, um, to start making definitive claims about how good teams are. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, Italy do look good and they do have some quality players. But uh, I was saying to you before we started recording, and I think, yeah, I, I think I'm happy to, to back this. I, t- I think Berardi and Sterling are very similar players, which is obviously not a diss. It's being similar to... I'd lo- If I could be similar to Sterling at anything in my life, I'd love it, right? <laughs> it, if I could cook it, it, the same way that Sterling plays football, phew, the stuff I'd make, uh, orange tofu, I'm the guy. But, um, but Berardi, I don't know bit slow on the ball, loses possession a little bit. It's the sort of thing that that will get punished when you only get one chance in a game against the top team who are dominating you, uh, which will happen. All of the top teams get, get dominated at points in games. I mean, Chelsea have been dominated at times this season and Man City have been dominated at times this season. It, it happens to even the best teams. So when that does happen, Italy could come unstuck. And in a cup competition, that's not it's not great for the future, right? You want, to, you want to have a team that has the ability to, to get stuff when, when you're losing, which is sort of almost... How, or when you're being dominated, which is sort of how... It's actually how Chelsea won the Champions League, really, in a very simplistic approach. It's, it's how Chelsea got through the Champions League. They, they, they had good games where they dominated, but when they were under pressure from teams like Real Madrid, they could play still and they could still get results. Whereas I think this Italy team maybe can't do that. I, I, big claims, I don't know, big claims, and I, I'm trying to caveat this because I've already come out and said that I think Germany will win the whole thing, and that's well, that's got me. But uh, I think I think that's what I'm saying. Uh, have you, uh, do you do you think that makes sense? Are you happy
1: with that, or would you would you say that's too much of a stretch? Yeah, no, no. Look, I think obviously Italy in one of the one of the most favourable groups, shall we say? You know, Wales have been fantastic as well. I think very unlucky not to. Not to win their first game, but they put in a an absolutely amazing performance against Turkey uh, yesterday to, to run out winners 2-0 in that one, and they are currently sat second in, in that group. But I think that that, that Italy side certainly you know, would have expected to, to make it out of the group quite comfortably, and it looks as if that's going to be the way. They haven't come up against anyone who's really given them a threat or certainly given their defensive line a threat. I think that, as you say, when they... Do encounter some tougher opposition later in the tournament. Who knows how far they'll go? I think that certainly, if Belgium and Italy were to win their groups, I think that there is 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 the scenario where they will face off against each other in the quarterfinals. So maybe that is a is going to be a, a better barometer, as it were, in terms of you know obviously one of those teams will then make it onto the semi final and it will give us a bit of a better look as at, at, at how how well defensively drilled that Italian side are when the likes of you know Lukaku, Eden Hazard who again is not starting in the game against uh, Denmark this evening but is on the bench as is a once injured Kevin De Bruyne so certainly when they come up against tougher opposition I think it's uh, definitely going to give us a good indication as to just how good that Italian defensive line is given the fact that they have you know become a lot more expressive and free flowing going forward and I think that certainly the 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 injury to Chiellini I get it he's you know he's aging you know that partnership between him and Benucci definitely needs to change at some point or it it, it will inevitably change at some point in the future and maybe that's where the Italians are going to have to uh, re-jiggle their their squad a little bit but I think that the injury to Chiellini certainly doesn't help them in in that fact but I do think that the Italians have got more than enough Strength in depth in terms of their defensive line is just—it's just a matter of whether or not they can keep the uh, "quote unquote" bigger sides in the tournament out. Um, I think speaking of Spain as well, it's—I uh, mean—it it goes to say something about how far Spain have dropped, given the fact that you know their their starting striker is Alvaro Morata. I mean, you know, we we are synonymous again. You know, just like how we relate defensive organized football with the Italians Spain have been synonymous with their creative attacking free-flowing football for for many years and uh obviously the 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 greats the likes of Iniesta Xavi uh you know any notable striker from that side really as well have have long gone um I think Pedri is looking like a bit of a, a shining light but he is still very very young I think Ferran Torres I don't know he he had a few chances but Danny Olmo looks looks like he could be good but again it's a it's a very young Spanish side and they don't really have someone who's going to be I would say you know getting them out of danger as it were um because as I say they've, they've got Alvaro Morata who has seemingly struggled for goals at club level and, and it just seems to be a uh, Transferring over to the international stage as well. Oh, for sure, man. Their XG
0: was like two point nine or something in that Sweden game. And both Murata, who who missed a bunch of sitters, thinking about it, and um, uh, Moreno, who came on, maybe not for him actually, but he came on and played in his position, were poor, very poor in front of goal. And yeah, like man, imagine if they had, imagine if they just had like a David Silver or someone or. Or if they just had that sort of oh those creative players in mid- midfield i think you said it, you said it, you said it yourself right they've, they've fallen a long way but they have fallen from winning two euros in a world cup it's quite a it's quite those are quite lofty heights <laughs> so yeah exactly so you you end up with quite high expectations for spain when actually they are just another team that are part of the bunch i think um, they were unlucky against sweden who never even cared for yeah. scoring i know that they, <laughs> isaac isaac cared for scoring but the other 10 Swedish players on the pitch didn't, which was a bit of a problem for him. Um, do you think Sweden are any good, actually? Do you, how did you, did you like them?
1: I think they're very organised defensively. And, and I think that their goalkeeper, Olsen, was certainly just phenomenal. He certainly kept them in the game at several points uh, in, in that game. Ol- Olsen from um, starting over Pickford at Everton <laughs> fame, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, he, he was... He looked good, um, and as I say, he kept them in that game several times. I mean, Spain certainly didn't have their scoring boots on. Um, I don't know how many goals that they will go on and score for the remainder of the tournament. Um, but yeah, Sweden looked good. I mean, that certainly that, that group, I think it's what makes it even more interesting. It's been blown wide open by the fact that Slovakia beat Poland in their first game. I know that everyone talks about Lewandowski and you know how great he's been for Bayern Munich over the last God knows how many seasons that he's been there um, but he never seems to translate it across to being able to produce consistently on the international stage. Poland looked they didn't look great in that game against Slovakia and I think Slovakia Slovakia now it puts them in a very good position to potentially qualify top two out of the group which is an insane situation to think about when you've got the likes of Spain, Sweden and Poland in that group as well. I mean if Slovakia get a point or all three in their game against Sweden then of course that they, they they are securing themselves a top two spot I would like to say so it's going to be very interesting to see how group E unfolds I think one thing to, to mention as we are recording this the uh the Denmark versus Belgium game has of course just kicked off and uh well it's not been a great start for my boy Thomas Mounier they have conceded inside the first couple of minutes against Denmark Yusuf Poulsen has scored against Belgium and Denmark lead 1-0 so uh maybe Thomas Moynier isn't the way to go well I mean I
0: could be a freak <laughs> all I know about
1: this gold is that the BBC feed just says wow in caps at the moment
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to presume it's a bit of a banger um oh gosh that's the thing actually that's the thing I think that's the thing we'll, we'll end on where the US is brilliant because it's just football every day I, I'm actually going yeah. on holiday this weekend. <laughs> I don't think I've got Wi-Fi. I don't think I have access to the 20 games that are going to happen while I'm away. Um, Cause I'm away till like Wednesday. So I'm going to come back and there's going to be all this news and great stuff that's happened, but get, get If, if you, I, I think it's a great opportunity to watch some football, to, to learn about players that we don't necessarily always know about. And um, it's stuff like this, the the consistent games that are happening that, that I, I kind of love, uh, even if I don't watch them all, and get a bit burnt out at times. So, uh, Yeah, I love this and that sort of thing there. That's exactly why I love this. So I think we'll end there. Catch us next week where I'll be talking about how great my holiday in Devon was and Jack will be talking (laughs) about how good the football was. And um, maybe I'll have caught him up in fantasy football, although I really doubt it because uh, every time I get... He has a Belgium defender. The guy scores 15 points. I have a Belgium defender, concedes in two minutes. That's, that's, the, that's the
1: headline, I think. Why did we have to transfer Moynier into your team? Like, I mean, I know you're using the limitless chip as am I, but just, I can guarantee you that if you went for any other Belgian defender, they would be 6-0 up inside the first 10. Almost certainly. Almost certainly. It's the curse. <laughs>
0: so, uh, so catch us next time. It's, it's bye from me and bye from Jack.